Welcome to the On Deck Circle, a weekly podcast setting the table with lively baseball banter from two guys who love America's pastime. Let's talk baseball. Welcome back into the On Deck Circle podcast. Alex, this is actually our 10th episode. We've done the 10th episode, what, three weeks in a row now? Or But this is the real 10th episode. We corrected it, and now we are actually at 10. This is not the fake 10th episode. This is the actual 10th episode. This is exciting, man. We've been doing this now for over two months. It just—it's it, a joy to do it. Does it when you when you're doing something you love? It doesn't feel like work. That's right. And we've got a stacked agenda today. All sorts of exciting things to discuss. Baseball is the gift that keeps on giving, and so you always at least have for some, 162 games out exactly, of the season. Exactly, and you always have something to talk about. So we have a full, robust agenda. All right, let's dive right in. Leading off. And as we lead off this week, before we get to the good, bad, and ugly, just want to highlight some notable injuries. Uh, Some things that have taken place over the weekend and even earlier last week, some injuries that I just want to comment on and get your thoughts on perhaps, Alex. Garrett Mitchell, the Milwaukee Brewers. I think he was your rookie of the year pick, wasn't he? I'm familiar with Garrett Mitchell, yes. Probably going to be out for the year with a shoulder surgery. He, He has a partial tear in his labrum. It would uh, appear that I need to... Well, I feel bad for Garrett Mitchell, and uh, he will be missed. He actually was a pretty decent contributor to start out the year for the Brewers. And uh, yeah, good young prospect that's really been producing and actually was looking like a legitimate Rookie of the Year contender. He was indeed. And obviously, he's going to be on the shelf for a while. And so um, I probably need to revisit my Rookie of the Year pick in the National League. But that's a pretty self-serving thing when he's looking at shoulder surgery. We wish him well and a, a speedy recovery. But yeah, that that's a hit for him. And it's also a hit for the Brewers, who he was a he was it, a regular contributor. It's actually not a hit for the Brewers. He's not going to be hitting anything for a while. Exactly. It's a um, uh, what's the word we're looking for? It's uh, they a tragedy. They, exactly. They will miss him. They will indeed. So he's not the only one that's got shoulder issues right now. Logan Ohapi, the bright catching prospect for the Los Angeles Angels, also has a torn labrum. He no. is having surgery, and he's going to be out four to six months. He's pretty much done for the year yeah, as well. Yeah, that's another one that's, they, you know, there's no there's no good news that seems to come out of the Los Angeles Angels franchise, and I feel like the Angels are a team that's in baseball purgatory. Like, they know they can't keep Shohei Otani if they underperform this year, like he's going to go to a contender in the offseason. And so all this pressure is on the team to perform. Yep. And every injury, every loss, every setback it gets is, amplified. It's just it signs shines the spotlight on the fact that Shohei Otani will be wearing Yankee pinstripes next year. Oh wow. Or Bold some, prediction. Or some other equivalent jersey. Hey, good news though. So Liam Hendricks, the closer for the White Sox. Cancer free. Can Cancer-free, so he's starting to rev up baseball activities, going through some rehab action. He'll be back, and I don't know if they'll have any games to close, but the bullpen is sure going to welcome him back because there's been a lot of loose outings for the White Sox. There have been, and two things there. One, congratulations to Liam Hendricks. Yeah, Uh, definitely. Congratulations on getting healthy. And two, the most obnoxious team in baseball deserves to have the most obnoxious personality back at closer. And so he'll fit right back in on that that team. But again, you made a good point. Hopefully they have games to save because they are a pretty terrible team right now. 
And so uh, they're losing games fairly regularly, and they're losing them by wide margin. So yeah. the closer is not needed when that's the situation. Two other pieces of, of good news and, and potential bad news. Michael Harris II, the Atlanta Braves standout outfielder, is going to be starting a rehab soon. Should be back with the team in the next couple of weeks. Yep. That's good news for the Braves. They have been looking really great recently, but it's always good to get a great player back that is producing for you quite well. Sandy Alcantara has got mild biceps tendonitis. Mild bicep tendonitis. Do we really think that's going to stop him from pitching his next start? Probably no. not, because they just ride him like a workhorse. Absolutely. So he, you know, that's that's not really going to affect him much at this point. The, the last group I want to highlight, and it is a group. The Dodgers had four players go on paternity leave over the last week and a half. So Mookie Betts last weekend was on paternity leave. Bruzdar, Gratterall, Evan Phillips, and Max Muncie are all either on the paternity leave list or have just come off the paternity leave list. In other words, they all, all four of them, had significant others that gave birth to babies recently. The more significant question is, what was happening nine months ago in L.A. Dodgers camp? Okay. You got to do the math. What are the Dodgers feeding these guys? Something in the water, right? I don't think it's a matter of food. Something in the water. All right, let's uh, let's look at good, bad, and ugly. Congratulations and to them for all having children, though. Absolutely. Let's make let's make the world a better place. Good, bad, ugly. Let's start with good. Ooh, we're going in order this time. <laughs> Why not? It's our tenth episode. Why not do what we're supposed to do? Good. What what is what is your good from the weekend, Alex? It's not even good for the weekend. We're approaching the one month mark, mile marker for baseball. Uh, we're going to hit it this week. And my good is parity. The league always parody? wants parity. Uh, means we want as many teams to be competitive as possible. There are 30 baseball teams. The more teams that are competitive means you have more interested fan bases, which means you sell more tickets, which means everybody are the most, you know, the most po- you want the most possible teams to have a sense of hope. And right now we have 22 out of the 30 teams have 10 or more wins wow. in baseball. That's awesome. All of the AL East teams have 10 or more wins, and they all have winning records right now. Four out of five teams in the AL West, the NL West, and the NL East have 10 or more wins. And Pittsburgh and Milwaukee, both in the NL Central, have at least 15 wins. All right, stop there for just a second. Who would have predicted that at the beginning of the year, the Pirates would be one of two teams in the NL Central with more than 10 wins? I wouldn't have. Not this guy. No, uh, we would. I mean, nobody saw that coming. They've been by far the biggest surprise of the season. But I just think it's a great thing for baseball that 22 of the teams have 10 or more wins at this point, which means you're either at 500 or pretty close to 500, meaning your your wins equal your losses. And the teams that aren't on that list, six of the remaining teams have eight or nine wins. Unless you're the Oakland A's or the Kansas City Royals, you know, which are lagging far behind everybody else. They are indeed. I mean, you should be relatively pleased. The The fan bases should be relatively happy with the start out of the gate. And so and then there are some fan bases like the ones in Pittsburgh. I mean, you would not have seen this coming. I mean, the Pittsburgh, not only are they in first place right now, they're paying. They're locking up players for long term contracts. They locked up their manager for the next several years. I mean, good things are going on in fan bases that maybe we didn't see that coming at the beginning of the year. And just throwing at throwing this out there, PNC Park is one of the best ballparks in all of baseball. Is. 
the yellow bridge in the backdrop. Yep. You got the river that runs right by it, right by the diamond. It's a great atmosphere. There's a lot a of good in that parody. My good is a person this week. Yep. Max Muncy. Oh, boy. Max Muncy of the Dodgers was named the NL Player of the Week. Before you keep going. Because. Aaron, no, no, Aaron no. is a big Dodgers guy, if you can't tell. It comes up repeatedly on this podcast. I, I appreciate things done well, and the Dodgers do pretty much All everything right. well. Tell us about Max, please. All right, so Max Muncy this past week, 389 average, a 1.222 OPS, had five homers, Two of the games over the weekend, he had two homers and multiple RBIs. Over the week, he had seven RBIs, and he walked nine times, which is not insignificant. That points to the fact that he's getting on base even if he's not hitting home runs. And one of the things that I appreciate about Max Muncy is he's not just homer or strikeout. He's a homer or walk kind of guy. And so uh, that, that was my good. Just... It was really fun. Last year was a really bad year for Max Muncy. Had a really down year. He had under 200. His power numbers were down. And to the start of this year, he ha- he didn't get off to a great start. This past week uh, was really invigorating to see him start performing well. And the Dodgers, if they're going to do anything this year, are going to need lots of production from him, especially with some of the injuries they've been dealing with recently. He's leading the league in home runs right now. He is. He's got 11 of them. 11 he, dingers. He's on pace to break Barry Bonds' record. I think he's projected to hit 75. Yep, that would do it. But he's on the paternity list, so yeah. he's missed the last several games. He he, he, he should know. He should know that there are certain times you step away from the game to be with your family. Having a kid while you're leading the league in home runs is maybe not one of those times. Potentially. Potentially. All right, <laughs> uh, the bad. What do we got for the bad this week, Alex? Are you ready for a cold bucket of water and what you just said? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight the strikeout rate for major league batters. It's been high. It just seems like it's still high and the batters aren't adjusting and we're striking out at a historic rate. I'm going to highlight just a couple. We have, first off, we have 110 batters who are eligible for this stat, striking out 20 or more times to start the year, which puts you at a rate of strikeout around 35 to 40%. Yep. Matt Olson is leading the clubhouse right now. He's had 92 at-bats so far this year. He's the first baseman for the Atlanta Braves. He struck out 38 times. Yikes. 41% of the time he goes to the bat, he strikes out. Wow. Jazz Chisholm, he's had 87 at-bats. He struck out 36 times, also a 41% strikeout rate. Max Muncy, who's had far fewer at-bats, which is impressive because you consider he's only had 71 at-bats. That means a lot of walks, which is what you've highlighted just now, and you're good for the week. And he's also hit 11 home runs in those 71 at-bats. So that's a great Absolute bombs. But he's also struck out 27 times, which is a 39% strikeout rate. And so that's all to say that we've talked about this. Baseball has talked about this for several years, the strikeout rate being way up in Major League Baseball. And I think it continues to be way up, which means guys are either hitting home runs or they're most likely striking out. Or, as we're going to talk about later in the show... Maybe they're getting strikes hosed. are being called yes. that are not, in fact, strikes. Exactly, and that's part of it, and we'll talk about that. But nonetheless, I think it just remains a little Spoiler high. Spoiler alert. Matt Olson is a great player. He He's sure a great is. player in the game today, and you're like, dude, you're striking out 41% of the time when you go to bat. Come on, learn the strike zone a little bit. All right, so my bad is the San Diego Padres, particularly San Diego, particularly three people. So Fernando Tatis Jr. came back this weekend. Welcome back. Over the four game series against the Diamondbacks of all people, he went 
0 for 5. Yep. 1 for 4. Yep. 1 for 4 with a home run and 1 for 5. But did you see him dancing out there with the outfield with the or in the outfield when the when the fans were booing him as a steroid user? Oh, that's right. That he should looked, count for something. He looked good dancing. You know, this is the guy that was tearing up AAA in his rehab. He had like what three homers and like 10 RBI in a game or something like that. Some ridiculous stat. And everybody was anticipating his return. It hasn't been all that. No, it hasn't. It's been kind of a dud. In addition, the Padres have eight players hitting below 200. Highlighted by Juan Soto, who's hitting 188 right now. He's got four home runs, nine RBIs, 26 strikeouts. Exactly. 22 walks. So he, you know... He hasn't just only been striking out. He's been walking a lot. And I I get the fact that nobody wants to pitch to him. Xander Bogarts is the exception to what I'm saying with the Padres. He's hitting over 300. He's been everything and more that they signed him to be. But Manny Machado is really concerning me right now. He's batting 213. Yep. He has one home run. Yep. Seven RBIs. Yep. 23 strikeouts. Yep. Every time I watch him play, it looks like he's so over baseball. He doesn't, his body language is not good. The effort that he exerts on fielding plays and just on like running the bases, I think he would qualify and probably win the award for most easiest player to double up in baseball. <laughs> if he hits a ground ball and there's a runner on first base, the only effort you need to exert to turn to is get the ball to second base. You could walk the ball from second base to first base and you would beat yeah. Manny Machado to first base. Yeah, there's every sport has a guy like Manny Machado where they have all the gifts in the world to play that sport well, but you couldn't convince me that he likes baseball or they like the sport they play. It's kind of like the Jay Cutler rule from football. Like, yeah, he was the quarterback for a long time for the Chicago Bears. The Bears. He just appeared to hate the game, but yet kept getting paid tons and tons of money. Yeah. That goes back a couple, a couple of weeks ago. We had them uh, as a topic on the podcast before the season got started, and the Padres owner is sitting there with a huge bill because they have massively paid for this roster of which Manny Machado is one of them. I mean, he's the one that signed this 330 plus million dollar extension. Exactly. And so you got to get some production. And again, right now the, the NL West is a slug fest. So they're by no means are they out of it. However, there are some trends in this first month of the season. You're like, you guys got to figure some stuff out or this could get really bad for you guys really quickly. All right, let's do the ugly. Uh, My ugly, and I won't forget about your ugly this week, Alex. Thank you. Uh, My ugly this week is umpire Vic Carapaza. Vic Carapaza. We're throwing umpires under the bus. I love it. He was umpiring the Saturday game between the Orioles and the Tigers. Nice. And he had two very forgettable moments. I mean, now, granted, any game where you are plate umpiring the Tigers is a forgettable moment. However, there were two specific instances in this game where there were things that that hopefully you got to have a short memory on this. He struck out a batter. On strike two, he rung him up on strike two. Well, and, and his, it's clear as day in 0-1 count, and the pitch gets pitched, and it's not even a strike, spoiler alert. And he rings the guy up, and you're like, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you look at your clicker before the pitch was pitched? Because well, clearly there's only one strike. Give the guy some leeway, because isn't it? Like we, we're we're giving out strikes like they're candy these days. Like a guy takes too long, we give him a strike. So maybe he just maybe he just lost count in his head. So earlier in the game, he ejected Ramon Urias. Let me set the stage. 
Ramon Arias is at bat. Strike one was actually a swinging strike. Strike two, Ramon Arias is a right-handed batter. Strike two, quote unquote, was in the left-handed batter's batting box. Yeah. Strike two. Strike three was a little closer to the plate, still off the outside, rung up on strike three. Well, it was the last out of the inning. Ramon Arias, frustrated, despondent at what had just taken place, tosses his helmet, tosses his bat, removes his gloves, and says a word or two to the umpire. Doesn't look at him. He's not confronting the umpire. He's by no means going ballistic on the umpire. But Vic Carapaza tossed him. Don't be showing up the umpire. He was not showing up the umpire because it that caught the attention of the normally mild-mannered but yet still very opinionated Jim Palmer, yep. the play-by-play voice for the Orioles and Hall of Fame pitcher. And he called it a Bush League move. <sighs> he was like, nobody came here to watch you today, Vic. Let the players play. You got to really mess something up for the play-by-play voice, you know, and, and the announcers to go after you. I mean, I have seen so many, I've, I've watched so many games where a pitch has been well outside or down below and the announcers cover for the umpire. That, yep, that's way, hit the outside corner apparently. My favorite phrase, that pitch was too close to take. Yep. Well, was it in the strike zone or was it not in the strike zone? That's right. the question. So let's let's segue to your ugly. What was your ugly from the weekend? My ugly for the weekend, Oakland A's. Uh, yeah, Oakland there's A's. A lot of ugly uh, there. There's a lot going on with Oakland right now. Oakland is on borrowed time being in Oakland. Uh, this week they surpassed minus, uh, they are minus 104 in run differential, which means they are on pace to be something like 500 runs like to score 500 fewer runs than they give up. Now that probably won't happen. You know, water always finds like the lowest point and levels off at some point, but the record in major league baseball is something like 250 runs being a differential. Oh, wow. And so they're on pace to blow that away. The best news to come out of Oakland so far has been the news about the possum that's living in the broadcast booth at um, at the Coliseum. <laughs> and so if that's the best thing coming out of Oakland these days, it's not great. Yeah. Uh, but in more important news, it was announced that Oakland is finally, it looks like, going to make the move in the next couple of years to Las Vegas, who has agreed um, in part to... So we're about finance a stadium for them on the on the Vegas Strip. We're going to so, give you one billion dollars to build a stadium. Exactly. Well, typically how it works is we'll, we will agree as a city to tax our residents so they'll build you a stadium. And so the Las Vegas Athletics or whatever they rebrand themselves as, it's hard to imagine baseball without the athletics. So I would imagine they would keep the name, but they are on their way out of Oakland. So Oakland by far was the ugliest thing for me this last week nope it wasn't because that segues gracefully into the second item on our agenda now on deck and this week we want to highlight what was perhaps the ugliest of the ugly for both of us to watch last week and that was max scherzer getting ejected from a game against the dodgers this happened pretty much right after we recorded last week's podcast. So we weren't able to cover it when it happened. But this happened, I believe, on Wednesday against the Dodgers. He got ejected for having a foreign substance on his hand. And after the game, he was effusive in denying that he had anything illegal on his hand. He put his right hand on his four children and said, on my children's lives, I did not have a foreign substance on my hand. He did swear on his children's Poor lives. Scherzer children. 
However, he got suspended for 10 games and is not appealing the suspension. So Alex, if he didn't do anything wrong, why is he getting suspended for 10 games? Well, it's interesting. Max Scherzer created quite the narrative uh, after his suspension came down. I think his his exact reasoning, and again, you want to talk about like the deep state of baseball here. He was like, well, you know, when I found out who my appeal to, it was basically a biased source. He's like, I wasn't going to get a fair hearing, so I was just going to waste my time. I might as well just take my suspension and move on with my life. Now, again, that doesn't reflect well on Max Scherzer. And so what originally was, I, w- I was originally very sympathetic to Max Scherzer because I have followed Max a lot. Uh, he's when he was, a tiger. He was a, he's a former tiger. That man is a sweaty man. He, uh, he sweats profusely on the mound. He sweats more than the average human being. And so I'm not, I'm confident that Rosin and his body mixes well and creates some sort of a tacky lather all over his hands, which undoubtedly would have been bad. Um, and it would have been very noticeable for him. However, to take it, to accept the suspension, take the suspension, not really protest suspension. I don't know. It's almost like he's admitting guilt and it's like, Hey, you were told to wash your hands. You didn't wash your hands. You got caught. Now you're suspended. And that's the rule. The rule now in baseball, it's like a one, you know, one time offense. It's one strike and you're out in this particular situation. If the umpire finds something on your hands and deems it foreign, you're immediately subject to a 10 game suspension. However, it was not a one and done thing with him. Uh, so the way that the events went down, he had his glove and hand checked in the third inning. Yep. And the umpire told him, you need to go wash your hands and get a different glove because your glove's sticky, your hands are sticky, go wash your hands. Which he claims he did both. And in Max Scherzer's words, you would have to be a complete idiot to try to go back out in the fourth inning with anything on you because you know you're going to get checked again. Well, sure enough, he got checked. The umpire again said that his hand was sticky, that he couldn't pitch, and then he got ejected and the 10-game suspension followed. I... I think there is some confusion in what's going on here. So there's a really helpful illustration on Sunday Night Baseball with David Cohn, who used to pitch for the Mets, uh, doing Sunday Night Baseball. And they were discussing this suspension and what the big deal is with the rosin and sweat. I mean, rosin is a legal substance in baseball. There's a bag of it behind the mound that pitchers can use and, and try to get a grip on the ball a little bit better. The fact is, when you wash your hands with alcohol from the rosin, the alcohol triggers a stickiness in the rosin that's left over after you wash your hands. Now, you would think after what we've just gone through with the pandemic, that people would be pros at washing their hands and they would get all the rosin off, but apparently... So they don't use water to wash their hands? But apparently they did not get all the rosin off. So he washes his hands, then reapplies rosin and sweat before he goes back out. Now, here's what rule 3.01 says about the ball. Time out. Buckle up, listeners. We're going to the rule book now. We're going full up nerd. No player shall intentionally discolor or damage the ball by rubbing it with soil, rosin, paraffin, licorice, sandpaper, emery paper, or other foreign substance. Penalty, the umpire shall demand the ball and remove the offender from the game. In addition, the offender shall be suspended automatically for 10 games. For rules in regard to a pitcher defacing the ball, C rule 6.02C numbers 2 through 6. Well, 
6.02C numbers two through six cover pitching prohibitions. Okay. What are you not allowed to do? You're not allowed to put expectorate on the ball, either hand or glove. You're not allowed to rub the ball on your glove, person, or clothing. You're not allowed to apply a foreign substance of any kind to the ball, deface the ball in any manner, or deliver a ball altered in a manner prescribed by Rule 6.02C, 2 through 5, of what is called the shine ball, spit ball, mud ball, or emery ball. The pitcher is allowed to rub the ball between his bare hands. He's not allowed to have on his person or in his possession any foreign substance. Now, here is an interesting thing. If the rosin bag is out there, a pitcher may use the rosin bag for the purpose of applying rosin to his bare hand or hands. Neither the pitcher nor any other player shall dust the ball with the rosin bag. Neither shall the pitcher nor any other player be permitted to apply rosin from the bag to his glove or dust any part of his uniform with the rosin bag. So all that means apparently you can't use rosin, but you can use rosin. And I think that's confusing. Well, yeah. Can you use rosin or can't you? You lost me when they paired rosin next to licorice. I'm like... (laughs) What? Well, th- yeah, no, there's a lot of prohibitions on what you can and cannot do with rosin, but yet the rosin bag is right there for everybody to use. And so, clearly, so if you're not doctoring the ball, apparently you can grip the ball, though, with rosin. So here, so here's what I think needs to happen in the wake of what, what's taken place with Max Scherzer. We need to have a quantifiable amount of rosin and sweat that's able to be used. Right. I mean, Max said he was using legal substances and he was using the rosin bag and he was using his sweat, which apparently is a legal thing to do. However, the umpires said afterwards that his hand was the stickiest they have ever seen. So Max was super utilizing the rosin and sweat. Now, how much is too much? How much is not enough? I think that's a gray area. That if you're going to allow rosin, there needs to be some stipulations. So for a day game or a rainy game or a colder game, you're going to get a different level of stickiness when you're using the rosin because the rosin interacts differently with how you sweat in those different environments. But we need to have a standard. We can't just have an umpire coming up to a potential Hall of Famer and saying, oh, well, you're not allowed to use this legal substance in the amount that you're using it. So there's two things that are on my mind here. First is... On matters pertaining to checks with umpires, Scherzer does not have the greatest reputation. If we remember back to when they first implemented the in-between inning check, he was the one who took his pants off on the field (laughs) in order for the umpire to check him. Looks like a little league move. So let's be fair. He doesn't have the greatest reputation. Let's also be fair to Max because the umpire that ejected him is the only umpire to eject a player for his glove or hand being too sticky. Phil Cuzzy has ejected three pitchers for having overly sticky hands, and he's the only umpire that's ejected them. It seems like, though, the second thing is it seems like a pretty simple fix in my mind. If I was going to implement anything, we've already, we've, we, we regulate how many times the, the mound can be visited. Um, we've regulated now the time in which, you know, you have to deliver a pitch. Why can we not just put a simple rule in place? Hey, you can only go to the rosin bag. Once an inning has started, you can only go to the rosin bag once an inning. Or, you know. Wh- once per baseball. Because they pretty much get a new baseball every pitch. 
You'll, yeah, if we want to break down the lifespan of a baseball, it's something like 1.3 pitches or yeah. something like that. It's I mean, something super low. Any ball in play gets tossed out and the pitcher gets a new ball. Of course, if you hit a home run, you get a new baseball to pitch with. If the ball's fouled off, of course, you get a new ball to pitch with. And, and if the pitcher doesn't like the feel of the ball, they can even ask for a new ball. Well, and I think what we're touching on here is a, is a, is a problem area. And this is going to segue, I think, into our next topic of discussion here. There's a lot of rules in baseball which are still subject to there's a lot of subjectivity attached to it. Whether we're talking about, hey, how sticky sticky for one umpire to say, that's the stickiest my I've ever seen a hand. Well, according to who? Maybe you've only ever seen clean hands. Yeah. And again, I get I, I the, the thing is Major League Baseball isn't protesting the fact that Max Scherzer says, and again, these are like third grade antics. He washed his hands in front of a major league rep. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, and they're not protesting that. They watched him wash his hands. They watched him change his glove, and yet yep. his hand was still the stickiest this guy's ever had. Maybe this guy needs to hang out with people with dirtier hands. I don't know. Yeah. But it's all subjective to whoever the, you know, the whoever the person is, which again is an issue in a number of areas, and it's an issue we're going to talk about here in the hole. Yep. All right. So let's move on to in the hole. So something that you got me thinking about last week in your good, bad, and ugly segment, and we've already hit on it a little bit now with your ugly for the week, the pitches being called strikes that aren't strikes is an increasing problem in Major League Baseball. It's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. And there's a lot of talk. Minor league is al- the minor leagues are already using robo-umpires. We talked about robo-umpires last week, and... For some reason, you just drew my attention to it on the podcast last week, and I was paying extra special attention to it, I guess, this week. And the calls that are getting, you know, the 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 balls that are off the plate that are getting called strikes, the balls that are being off, they're pitched off the plate, and the catchers bringing them back into the zone or up high or down low, and they're getting called strikes, just seems to be happening in every single game. It's actually a skill. It's called pitch framing. It is. It is. There are certain catchers that are rated highly and are artisans, very skilled at framing pitches when they come in. The reason for that, as a former umpire, you're behind the catcher and you're looking to see where the catcher's glove is. Because while where the catcher's glove is is not the strike zone, the catcher's glove is going to indicate a close proximity to where you saw the ball go through the zone. And honestly, the hardest location to call a strike on from an umpire's perspective behind the plate is the low and away pitch. Anything away, he's staring across the catcher and has a harder time seeing. And so if you look at a lot of the missed strike calls, they're happening on the outside corner. Some, yes, the but pitches there are a that are good being number framed, that are not low and outside that are being missed. The pitches that are the, the the pitches that are being framed are the low and away pitch or the away pitch. I mean, yes, there are others, you know, inside or even just low and over the middle of the plate. And I I think that that is point. There's definitely a connection between the uptick in missed strike calls. And the fact that catchers are getting better at not just catching the ball or blocking the ball from going to the backstop, they're getting better at deceiving the umpires. Let's just call it what it is. Pitch framing is not a above board thing. They're deceiving the umpire. They're moving where the pitch came in in order to try to gain a call. I would put it on the on the equivalent of flopping in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Okay. I see. I see what you're saying there. 
it, you're trying to get a competitive edge. You're trying to get the call. And a resource that, that I came upon the other day is umpscorecards.com. Okay. They pull the data from every pitch of every MLB game and then chart it for each umpire. And they give umpire scorecards of all things. Most of the umpires in the league that have been behind the plate this year are around 90%. So they're missing 10%. 10%. So, okay, let's, let's say we have nine innings and you have four batters come up per inning and the batters each average four pitches. Okay, so that's 16 pitches per half inning, 32 pitches per full inning, 32 times nine, 300-some pitches, let's say, throughout the course of a game. So they're missing 30 of them. Right. That's that's a pretty significant number. It's pretty huge. It is. And I want to give a quick comment on the catchers for just a second because I'm with you. It is deceptive. However, if a catcher does not catch the ball with an intentionality, they aren't going to get the call. One of the more frustrating things for me is when a catcher lines up on the inside part of the plate, the pitcher misses his mark, and the catcher has to kind of casually reach back outside and catch the ball. The ball is still in the zone, yeah. but almost 90% of the time, the pitcher is not going to get the call because the catcher because he missed his mark and the catcher had to move his glove and maybe didn't, you know, catch it with the same sort of like vigor that he would if he hit the if he hit the target. Well, the umpire's looking for the accuracy of that. Like he sees he sees the catcher set up and he's looking to see if the pitcher will hit the catcher. Right. And if he doesn't, whether it's a strike or not, more times than not, you're right, it does get called a ball. It's definitely frustrating. Well, and so Again, this leads me, I mean, and, and I get it that it's a matter of pride and Robo collective bargaining umps. and everything else. And Robo they don't, umps. yeah, they don't want to give up the calling of balls and strikes to machines. Robo umps. But I made the comment earlier this week with you off the podcast, and I'll say it again: when the day comes and robo umps are a thing, they will only have to look in the mirror and have themselves to blame for this because they're missing too many pitches. And games, significant portions of games are being decided because, you know, and, and it's blatant. There are some umpires that just don't even care. It, it appears that way anyway. And they're calling the Angel high Hernandez. pitch. They're calling the high pitch. Oh, CB Buckner, to yeah. name one. Yeah. He, they're just going to call what they want to call, and they have their own strike zone. And the thing is, the strike zone, in the game of relativity that it is, the strike zone is not left to the discretion of the umpire. Yeah. It's supposed to be a fixed thing. It's an... In well, it's not necessarily a fixed thing because it's different for every batter. Well, yeah, but it's like, but the parameters of it, you're supposed to know that it goes from the knees to the, you know, whatever, just under the letters on the shirt, and it's supposed to be the width of the plate, and it's supposed, you know, pitches are supposed to pitches are supposed to cross the plate. Yeah, it's a difficult thing because you don't have a defined strike zone, but you do. Right. You don't have an objective standard, but you do, and in both of those situations, the difference between the two is being interpreted by the umpire. I remember being told in training school, if somebody says, oh, where was that ball? Like, was it high, low, outside? You don't have to answer and give them a spot of where it missed. You just have to say it wasn't in the strike zone because it's it's the umpire strike zone. It's not a standard strike zone. It, it changes from umpire to umpire. Anyway, definitely a, a distinct correlation there and one to keep an eye on. That's all to see say. see what MLB takes steps I to try and fix it. I am all in. I am all in on Robo Umps. Let's move on to segment number four. Batting cleanup. 
And as we look ahead to this weekend, we got some exciting matchups to look at. We're going to highlight a National League, an Interleague, an American League matchup. Alex, what's a matchup you're excited about this weekend? So I don't even know if they're like exciting necessarily because on the surface, they might not seem that way. So we talked about Pittsburgh already. Pittsburgh has 16 wins. They're playing the Dodgers right now. They got two more against LA. We'll see if they can you know, steal one in that series. But Pittsburgh goes to Washington over the weekend, which Ooh. Washington's not good. Pittsburgh is Washington shut out the Mets. I, yeah, and Washington has won a couple games lately that you know has been surprising to everybody. But Pittsburgh could really push their win total close to over twenty going into next week. Uh, again, so they go to Washington over the weekend, and then next week they're in Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay continues to be a buzzsaw more or less. So that'll be interesting to see what's going on. So I'm watching Pittsburgh this weekend because. Again, they're the best story in baseball. They have a rel- you know, there they have the Dodgers at home. Then they go to Washington, which is a little bit of a reprieve, at least record-wise. And then they go to Tampa Bay. We'll see what the record is next week on the podcast. Are they still in first place? Have they given up some ground? We'll see. But Pittsburgh is a team I have my eye on. Here's a matchup I'm looking forward to this weekend. The Braves play the Mets in four games over the weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, matinee. Monday happens to be the day Max Scherzer's coming back from his suspension. Yep. The reason he didn't appeal the suspension, from what I read, was because he wanted to come back and pitch in the Brave series. So he's coming back, and you can bet that he's gonna he's gonna Angry have a little Matt. He's he, Mad he's, Max, as they call him. He's gonna have a little extra, I think, going on the mound, and that's just gonna be a great NL East battle between yeah. the Braves and the Mets. Great rivalry, two best teams in the division last year, record wise. It'll be interesting to see them square off. I'm looking at an interesting interleague matchup, the Angels and Brewers. Yeah. The Brewers have been pretty good so far to start out the year. They've had some standout pitching, some standout hitting, and Shohei and company is coming to the Brew City to take on the Brewers, and I think that's going to be an intriguing matchup to see whether the Angels are able to get hot or whether the Brewers are able to overcome Shohei and company. Yeah, I've got I don't have an American League matchup this week, uh, but I do have two interleague matchups that I'm looking forward to through the weekend and next week. So next week, kind of building on your New York Mets Braves, the New York Mets go to Detroit and Justin Verlander is slated to return in that series. So the Mets deserve a lot of credit. Buck Showalter has kept the ship afloat. They've suffered a ton of injuries out of the gate and, you know, they've had the suspension of Max Scherzer and they're still sitting there with 13 wins in third place in the division or something like that, or second place in the division. And they're going to go to Detroit and Justin Verlander is going to pitch against his old team. And so that's a great storyline just to see JV pitch in Detroit, but also the New York Mets, you know, getting their ace back, the ace they went out and got in the off season. I think that's just an intriguing matchup. And then this weekend, uh, for when you have nothing else to do, Cincinnati plays in Oakland. Ugh. That is baseball for baseball fans only. The Athletics should pay people to come watch that game. That is a bad series. Two bad teams. Who knows? We may see a no-hitter in that game. Cincinnati, we might see a perfect game. In- Cincinnati has not 
been super terrible. No, they're not terrible. They're not a good team. They do score runs. They have some good young pitching and Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, both of whom should pitch in this series. And so, I mean, I fully expect the Cincinnati Reds to sweep the series, but Cincinnati and Oakland on paper is a terrible matchup. Definitely a snoozer. My American League matchup is not a snoozer. It's the Yankees and Rangers. That was on my list yeah that's good yankees and rangers i I believe it's in texas can you imagine garrett cole and jacob Degrom squaring off must see tv baseballs will be whizzing past the batters i think it's an intriguing matchup looking forward to watching that over the weekend we'd love to hear what some of your matchups are that you're looking forward to are there storylines you're following players that have been particularly exciting for you to watch thus far in the season we'd love to hear from you one of the things we weren't able to discuss this week was some of the perfect games that took place and we might be able to take uh, a look at that and some of the comedic ways in which those perfect games came to a close perhaps in a future episode but we're out of time for this week on the podcast thank you for liking and sharing our podcast be sure to follow us on twitter and on facebook share this with your friends family let them know that they're missing out on a great conversation about baseball every week on thursdays and until next week unlike the umpires calling the real games we're out of here